I'm Tavis Smythe. This is KBLA Talk 1580. My phone number, 1-800-920-1580, 1-800-920-1580. So glad to have you in with us in this hour. And in this hour, how to human, how to human, three ways to share life beyond what distracts, divides, and disconnects us. We will talk with Carlos Whitaker about how we can refuse to let disagreements define us, how we can say no to being perennially upset, rage-filled humans, how we can become builders, not demolitionists. I am pleased to welcome the author of How to Human, Three Ways to Share Life Beyond What Distracts, Divides, and Disconnect Us, Carlos Whitaker. Carlos Whitaker, how are you today, sir? I am so honored to be on with you. How are you doing, Tavis? If I complained, I'd be an ingrate. I'm delighted to have you on with us today. I'm glad to, <laughs> glad we have an hour uh, and uh, a lot lot to talk about in this hour. And uh, I'm just delighted that, uh, again, uh, you've taken the time to join us. Congrats on the on the new book. Absolutely. And, uh, again, a lot here to unpack. So let's get started. Now, let me start with this. It seems to Absolutely. me, it seems to me, Carlos, that we are more, and by we, I mean all of us, uh, we are, for a lot of reasons, uh, as human beings, a lot more agitated, perhaps more agitated than ever before. Mm -hmm. I see evidence of that everywhere I look, when I'm in traffic in Los Angeles, when I'm, I mean, everywhere I go, Mm -hmm. uh, somebody, you know, people have attitudes, they got issues. We're all agitated about something (laughs) now more than ever. That's my read. What say you about that reality? I, well, first and foremost, saying uh, that you are in traffic in Los Angeles gives you a whole other reason (laughs) to be agitated, unlike the rest of America. So I know you're dealing with things differently than we are, but you know what? It's true. We are, uh, we we, we feel, I think, collectively as the the human race, um, we've gone through collective trauma together the last three years. Mm -hmm. You know, like every single one of us from 2020 until today, have gone through collective trauma together. And whenever that happens, right, you talk to any therapist, whenever somebody goes through trauma, they are more, their emotions are bigger. They're more reactive in a lot of situations. And so, uh, you know, I would first and foremost say, yes, like this is not something that maybe we're just imagining. It actually is true that we are more traumatized as a culture, as a collective human species than we've ever been before. And so that's why I feel like it's important to have these conversations on purpose. What do you, what do you, uh, and we are having it on purpose, and I'm glad that we are. Um, Let me, let me probe that as uh, you, you'll learn from my style of conversation. I believe in following the guest um, and I'm going to follow you all throughout this conversation and we're going to cover a lot in this hour. Love it. But when you use the phrase collective trauma, that jumps out at me because there are a number of ways to read that. And I've had these conversations uh, at various iterations of my broadcast career about what it means and why it, in fact, seems mm. to take America going through all kind of hell um, for us mm. to realize our better angels. It, it, it's like we just can't seem to do it because it's the right thing to do. Um, we just have mm-hmm. to go through all kind of drama uh, to bring out oftentimes yeah. the best in us. Um, how do you read, uh, having said that, how do you read the way we have processed or not the collective trauma that we've all gone through together, rich, poor, black, mm-hmm. white, red, brown, or yellow, Republican, Democrat, conservative, liberal, male, female, yeah. gay, straight, Jew, Gentile, all of us have gone through this collective trauma for yeah. the last few years. Are we the better for it? How do you read what we've gone through together? I feel that's a great question. First of all, I feel like we are um, at a at a we're at a defining decision point. I, I feel like we can at this point go like you know what we are going to make this better. 
or we are going to allow it to allow us to be more rage filled. And, and, and what I'm finding, Tavis, is that I am seeing as I travel and I speak and as I, you know, do what I do on, on social media, that there's more and more people coming from various viewpoints of different issues that actually are tired of hating each other. And, and I know that may sound like a Sunday school answer. That may sound like, no, that, that actually is not what I see. But I am actually seeing it. I'm seeing people that come from different walks of life that are like, you know what? I know that I may vehemently disagree with you on this certain thing, but I am so tired of looking at you like you yourself are the enemy. And so, you know, I, I think we're at a we're at a deciding point. We're at a tipping point where we can say, okay, this is what we're going to do. And, and there's a phrase that I use in my book. Uh, we can talk about it now or later. But I, I, I say it this way when people ask me all the time, Carlos, where do you stand on that issue? And I feel like the tipping point we can get to is I answer this way every time. Well, I don't stand on issues. I walk with people. Mm. I don't stand on issues. I walk with people. And, and, they t- and these people, you know, they don't want to hear that because what they want to hear is they want to hear me make a statement that can allow them to either hate me or follow me. And I'm not going to give them the, that, that benefit. I'm not going to allow them to make their decision based on one statement. But what they can do is they can walk with me and I can walk with them. And in spite of what I believe about – listen, I'm very opinionated. I got a lot of opinions. I believe that there's a lot of very important issues, but what I'm not going to do and what I feel like collectively we need to stop doing is, is looking at an opinion and not realizing that that opinion or issue is actually a human being that's being affected by that thing. And so I'm trying to help people not stand on issues, but walk with people. And when we do that, I feel like we can start walking towards some healing, walking towards some freedom, instead of continuing to walk towards this, the disaster that we've been living in for far too long. It's a powerful frame, a powerful frame that uh, you don't stand on issues. You walk with people. I love it. I want to interrogate it as we move forward at this hour. Uh, but I love the frame, number one. Number two, it must be one of those days because I found myself in our first hour today um, uh, wrestling with, respectfully and lovingly, but wrestling with our guest uh, about this notion of human suffering that uh, shows up in the homelessness that we are facing here in L.A., where this radio station is flagshipped, uh, and others across the country, of course, in big cities and small towns dealing with homelessness issues as well. And the guest in our first hour today, uh, Carlos, suggested that she believes that most of us see homelessness. We see these homeless encampments uh, as a crisis, to be sure. But her argument was, her belief was, that we mostly see this as human suffering. And I pressed her on that notion of whether or not she truly believed that most of us see these uh, homeless persons in these encampments first and foremost as humans, humans who are suffering. I'm not sure I believe that. She and I went back and forth on that in our one. It was a great conversation. Now here you come in our two telling me that you think that most people are tired of hating each other. And you know, I'm going to interrogate that as well. When we come forward with Carlos Whitaker, author of the book, How to Human, Three Ways to Share Life Beyond What Distracts, Divides, and Disconnects Us. He's on KBLA Talk 1580. Let's get back to Carlos Whitaker on KBLA Talk 1580. His book is out. Uh, it's called How to Human, Three Ways to Share Life Beyond What Distracts, Divides, and Disconnects Us. A powerful book, and I'm uh, delighted to have him on for the hour to uh, interrogate a lot of what he says in this book, which I think is beautiful stuff that we can all benefit from. Um, but a moment ago, moments ago, he suggested to me that he believes and he's seeing in, he, in his work and witness that many of us, most people, as he put it, are tired of hating each other. We're tired of this rancor. 
uh, again, that distracts and divides and disconnects us. And I want to know where Carlos has been hanging out because wherever that is, I want to be. I want to hang out with Carlos <laughs> to meet these people because maybe maybe I'm just hanging out in the wrong spaces, man. Uh, on, on top of that, maybe I'm looking in the I'm hanging out in the wrong spaces and looking in the wrong places because when I look mm-hmm. at our politics and again, you can indict this. Uh, I'm happy to hear your response, obviously. When I look at our politics, our politics are now more divisive than ever. And so maybe I'm looking in the wrong place or hanging out in the wrong space. But where are these millions of Americans, these fellow citizens who you have discovered who are tired of the hate, tired of the vitriol, because the data doesn't seem to suggest that. Data can be wrong. So I'll shut up. You tell me, Carlos Whitaker. Good, Tavis. Uh, So here's the thing. Data is showing us that, yes, things are becoming more rage-filled, more divisive, and all these things. But there ain't no data showing us our souls. Mm. And there's not data that can literally show us the exhaustion that we are feeling as we are, we, we're being placed in front of us. Uh, again, these politicians, you, know, you are 100% right. Listen, I was glued to C-SPAN watching the chaos that was them trying to put another speaker of the house and they're there fighting with each other, mm-hmm. and it's rage-filled, and it's good TV, and, and we're attracted to trauma, right? Like, it, it's, it's the same reason why news stations, you know, are, are, you know, they lead with, at least, you know, th- this is the data that I heard in the 90s, they would always lead with horrible stories because that's what people would want to, to watch. We still, love do. still do, we still do, still do, still do, still do, but that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean that we're not exhausted by it. And not frayed by. It. And let me give you a, a clear example. Sure. I am. I lean. I, I lean left as, as as anyone in my family or I live in Nashville, Tennessee, as anyone in my community does. Right. But what I have realized is I'm surrounded by a bunch of white conservative Southerners. That's like who I live around. That is who you know I'm in relationships with, and I'm completely opposite from them. Mm-hmm. And the thing that I've realized is they are coming to me so exhausted from listening to the same people telling them every single day on their podcast and on their, you know, conservative radio says don't think that I am the enemy because this is what they've learned. They're like, wait a second. They're talking about my friend Carlos. They're just not putting a name on him because they're just saying that this woke, whatever is the enemy, but I know him and I actually see something different in him than they're displaying in whatever it is they're trying to display. So what does that do? When I am being human to them, they realize that what they're being fed is not true. What they're being said is, is, a, is a caricature of something, but not the true human that I am. So I'm seeing my, like my rage-filled friends from the other side of the aisle coming to me going, you know, I'm, I'm tired, man. I'm just, I'm tired of it. Is there something we can root for together? Mm. And that's what I feel like is a great first step. You know, you know what I did? One of my best friends on planet Earth, like completely, we grew up together and then suddenly 2020, when I started talking about racial reconciliation and all of these things, this, my brother was like, I'm out. Like, I can't deal with you anymore. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, he literally canceled me, his best friend, because I'm just standing up for who I am. Do you know what I decided to do? I said, we're not going to talk about this stuff, but we're going to buy season tickets to the Tennessee Titans. And we're going to force <laughs> ourselves to sit, sit together every Sunday, and we're going to cheer for the same team. And can I tell you what? Like, no, we have not come to le- reconciling opinions on things. But our relationship is healed because we started cheering for something together, rooting for something together, as simple as a horrible football team this year, but we're doing it together, and it's beginning to heal us. And I just feel like, I'm telling you, Tavis, more and more people I talk to, they are. They're like, I'm tired. I'm tired of people telling me to hate you. I'm tired of people telling me to hate them. 
I'm ready for us to figure out how to walk together, even though we have differences of opinions, very drastic difference of opinions, even at the point where I, I believe that there's people that are dehumanizing other people that we can still, because who's going to change them if it ain't us? Yeah. Who's going to change the dehumanizing person if somebody doesn't walk with them? And that's my call in this book, How to Human, is really, it, it's going to be up to us. Those of us that want to see humanity change for the betterment, we can't wait for them to do it. They're not going to do it. We've got to do it ourselves. Let me ask you then, this is a broad question. It's a big question, I, I admit, and I don't like asking questions that are too generalist in nature, but I, but I, I want to go here because I think there may be something to interrogate. Uh, and that is your read of the state of the human condition. Um, and let me put that another way that might be uh, more accessible. Uh, who are we really? Who, who are we really? I know uh, the ideals, the I-D-E-A-L-S, the ideals yeah. that we profess. But I see these yeah. crazy ideas, I-D-E-A-S, that we embrace. Uh, uh, and, it, and, and I'm not sure, as a member of the, the, of the human race, that I have a handle on the state of the human condition. Who are we yeah. really? How would you answer that question? Yeah. I, I would answer that by going directly to moments of crisis, which you open the show with. Like, why does it take collective trauma for us to figure out that we've got to fix things, right? Yeah. So I like to go back to, and, and honestly, like, I, go, I like to go back, like, pre-social media, any trauma that happens. So let's go back to 9-11. I think at 9-11, and I think when those towers collapsed, okay, people automatically sprinted into the dust. People automatically went running in to rescue. As people were running in, nobody was like, hey, can you tell me, before I, before I go rescue you from that rubble, can you please let me know who you voted for? Uh, can you believe, please let me know like, like if, you got, if you got a vaccine or if you wear a mask? Like, like no, 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 no. Like, nobody pulled out their phones on 9-11 and said, well, before I go rescue somebody, I'm going to write out a three-page thesis on who I, whose fault this is, and then I'm going to, no, like, no, we just sprinted into the dust. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that is who we are. And we're not that far removed from it. But, you know, the problem is we've got too much access to be able to give an opinion before we can run into rescue. And more people are concerned about giving an opinion on a topic as opposed to moving past that opinion and just into the rubble to rescue, right? All of these issues that people are very opinionated about, that, that we're, we're riled up about, that we vehemently disagree about, the reason why we vehemently disagree about these things is because no matter who you are, you believe that you, want, you know the right way to approach a problem. Because all of these things are approaching problems. You've just got people with different viewpoints as to how to get there. The difference is why I believe we collectively, as a human race, are built as rescuers is whenever there's trauma that happens immediately in front of us, we don't have a... Uh, a gathering or a meeting or, you know, in order to figure out, like, how are we going to go? No, we just run. Like, like when, I, when I was a kid, it, I, was, I was getting a haircut in Decatur, Georgia. Um, I had, you know, my, my, he was sculpting my little Gary Coleman afro who was with the Clippers. <laughs> and there was, a, there was a man that went sprinting by the window. I'll never forget this moment. And so my barber's clipping my hair, and I'm in a mall, right? And a man goes sprinting by the window with a kid in his arms. And then I heard someone screaming, and my, my mom hears someone screaming, and a woman comes running by him, and suddenly I saw, like, three men go sprinting by the window, and then another man, and then, like, these two kind of skinny redneck guys, and then, like, a big black guy, and then my, like, uh, Italian barber dropped his clippers, ran out, and they all ran out after this uh, kidnapper, and they caught him, right? And again... As these men were chasing this kidnapper, ain't nobody asking each other what they believed about all of these issues. They were just chasing 
after the bad guy to rescue the kid. And I believe that is intrinsically a reflex inside of the human condition that we just have to dig a little to uncover. It's still there. Hmm. You mentioned racial reconciliation earlier. And uh, on this program last week uh, around the King holiday, we we unpacked um, in all three hours of our program. I'm on three hours a day, 9 a.m. to 12 noon Pacific time. And King talked, as you may know, in uh, his uh, final years about what he called the triple threat facing our democracy. That triple threat, as Dr. Mm -hmm. King laid out, is racism, poverty and militarism, racism, poverty Mm -hmm. and militarism. Here we are all these years, 55 years, in fact, after his uh, assassination, 60 years this year since the March on Washington, still wrestling with racism poverty, and militarism. So I made this comment last week on this program, Carlos, that uh, racism, to my mind, may very well be the most intractable issue in this country, the most intractable, the Mm. issue of racism. And so here you come today, a week later, um, raising this issue of racial reconciliation. I'm coming to that because I want to draw a link, if I can, between racial reconciliation as an example, as one issue, And the frame that you lay out in this book, that you don't stand on issues, you walk with people. I'm wondering if on issues of racial reconciliation and others, um, this notion of walking with people rather than standing on issues would advance humanity, would advance our conversation Mm -hmm. in any meaningful way. Does that question make sense to you? Yeah, I think it does. No, I I think it does. And and I... I, uh, I, I, need, I need to, again, preface this, that, you know, a statement that can go on a bumper sticker, or a T-shirt, like, I don't stand on issues, walk with people, has to be unpacked, right? Like, sure, like, sure. Th- it can't just stand on its own without, uh, w- without some sort of structure. Yeah, I say, not to cut you off, I say all the time that slogans are not solutions. Slogans are yeah. not solutions. And that's why I'm, ra- that's why I'm raising this, because I'm, I'm wrestling with this frame. That I don't stand on issues, I walk with people. I'm, I'm wrestling with it because I'm trying to figure out whether or not that frame um, could be used to get people to understand better the notion of racial reconciliation and a litany of other things. I digress. Take it away. Yes. Okay. So I don't stand on issues. I walk with people. In order for anybody, right? So like I say, say my, my friend Jamie and his grandpa, who's the most racist man in Nashville, Tennessee, you know, Jamie's like, hey, Carlos, like, there's, just, there, there's no, you know, there's no, the, the, the man, the man, the, the man is always going to be what he is, right? Like, like how am I going to help my 88-year-old grandpa yeah. that every time he sees a black man on the TV, he calls the black man the N-word? You're like, like, how am I going to, you know, help that? Right. And so I'm like, hey, listen, like, like, like you can, you, you, you can, you can either walk with him or, or you could be like, you know, the, it's, it's no use. We're never going to change him. I may as well just change the generation. And I think to myself, what a travesty. Like, what, what a travesty that there is still a human soul that is living a mile from me in Nashville, Tennessee, that if I were to walk in his house, his skin would crawl. But I have a friend of mine that's, that's like, you know what, I'm just not going to walk with him because I just think that uh, it's, it's too late. He's too far gone. No, like, nobody's going to change unless we walk with them. Not one person is going to change. If I send them an email, not one person is going to change. If I argue with them on Twitter, not one person is going to like, none of that stuff is going to help change anything unless I develop relationship. Now, here's, here's the caveat. We've got to, we, you can't, these relationships and walking with people, you have to, you have, to have um, your own mental health. You have to have your own 
you know, protection over who you are. There are going to be some people that I'm not going to, wa- you know, walk with people. Carlos living in Nashville, Tennessee, is not going to get on a Reddit forum today. Go find out the latest KKK rally that's going to probably meet on Tuesday night, 40 minutes outside of Nashville, and walk in there and go, hey, Carlos, hey, guys, my name's Carlos. I'm here to walk with you. Like, that's not smart, right? <laughs> right, that's, right. that's not intelligent. Right. But, but there, there, there are people that may not be at that rally that I worship with every Sunday, that I that believe those same things, that unless they are with me, unless they are walking closely with me, they are never, ever going to shift. They're never, ever going to move. It is, my, is it my responsibility to change everybody's mind, all the racists that live around me? Um, no, it's not my responsibility. But if I don't take some responsibility, you know, like, like all during 2020, I was tired, man. I was tired of teaching all my white friends about what they can do for the black community because they were all coming to me. Like most of my platform is like white conservative evangelicals and they're following this black left-leaning, you know, uh, Southerner. And so suddenly I became like, I became this educator. I mean, I was tired, you know, but then I I just kept coming back to the the idea of I started to see people shift. I started to see people change. I'm sorry. Let me let me let me cut in there one second, uh, Carlos. Let me, let me get some news, traffic, and sports out of the way. I want you to finish that thought, uh, and we'll come uh, uh, to a great deal more uh, in this conversation about this book called "How to Human: Three Ways to Share Life Beyond What Distracts, Divides, and Disconnects Us." Carlos Whitaker is the author. He's on KBLA Talk 1580. I'm Tavis Smiley. You are listening to KBLA Talk 1580. So glad to have you with us in this hour. There's a whole lot to talk about. Our guest is Carlos Whitaker. His book is called "How to Human: How." To human, three ways to share life beyond what distracts, divides, and disconnects us. Uh, these are, as we've been discussing in this hour, crazy times, crazy people, more agitated than ever. We're fighting, we're wrestling with these big issues. Can't seem to dis- can't seem to agree on anything, as it were. Uh, less connected, one could argue, than ever before. And uh, I would add to that list that social media uh, has made us even less connected because we don't talk anymore. Everything is text and typed and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, we're experiencing uh, an, a perfect storm in many ways of debilitating anxiety, uh, crashing relationships, forgetting what it feels like to just be human. Hence the book, How to Human, Three Ways to Share Life Beyond What Distracts, Divides, and Disconnects Us. Hence our conversation with the author of that book, Carlos Whitaker on KBLA Talk 1580. Carlos, um. I want to uh, actually ask you about a couple of things, including this great story about the piano player at the airport. You know where I'm going with that in a second. We'll get to that story, <laughs> uh, which, I, which I found just to be really just uh, it was it was it was it was spirit lifting um, to to coming uh, to uh, the knowledge of that particular story. Uh, but before news, traffic, and sports, you were finishing up, uh, and I you got cut off by the clock. You were finishing up this this notion of of explaining why you think that this frame of not standing on issues but walking with people can, in fact, be realized by each of us. And there are people in, in every one of our lives that we can walk with uh, uh, in daily life to show them a sort of better way. Finish your point on that, then we'll move forward. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, a relationship is going to be the only way uh, to move forward. I, it, like you said, just putting up a post, and giving your opinion and arguing with someone in the comment section isn't going to be it. And it actually, if you think about it, when you walk, I, I like to tell people this all the time. When you walk, a human being, the average speed of someone walking is three miles an hour. And I believe that is the pace at which we're going to have to see 
this healing happen. Even the pace at which I'm speaking right now is driving your listeners crazy <laughs> because I'm going too slow. It's yeah. just like, come on, Carlos, get to the point. Get to the, and it's just like, no, like, in order to be fully human and walk with people, we're going to have to slow down. And I just think that if we can get more of that piece of who we are as humans, we get more into the walking with people conversations, the walking with people that don't look like us, think like us, vote like us, love like us, eat like us, all of those things. If we can begin to like expand our curiosity, which will lead to expanding our empathy, that that is going to be the only way for people to truly see, right? Truly see. But we live in a world where everything is faster, not slower. I mean, these social media, these, these smart devices I referenced a moment ago, say nothing of social media, everything moves at warp speed. So here you come now with this framework, not staying on issues, but walking with people. I get it. Uh, But in a world where you want us to slow down, everything is at a rapid pace. How do you juxtapose those two Mm -hmm. things? You know what I do? I mean, let's get real practical. What I do is every day, every, every evening, I plug my phone in in the kitchen before I go to bed. And what does that do? That, that puts me uh, to sleep without me scrolling for an hour on my phone and continuing to consume the amount of content that I don't think human souls were created to consume at the capacity we consume it. Mm-hmm. So that's one way to slow down. Another, another thing I did, I went to Walmart, and I bought myself this thing called an alarm clock. They, they actually <laughs> still sell these things. You, you put it next to your bed, all that thing does in the morning is it just wakes me up. It, 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 it doesn't tell me that, that, that someone hates me. It doesn't tell me these horrible things. It just wakes me up. And something else I do, I subscribed to a local newspaper. Now, this is crazy. The crazy thought. Like, I don't know who, who drives by, house, by my house in a Trans Am at 5.30 a.m. and throws it. But every single morning, I walk out, and there is my news. And I read my news in the morning with a cup of coffee, and I don't read my news on my phone anymore. I've decided to not do that anymore. So what, what, what are all these things doing? I'm just purposely and with intention slowing the, the amount of content that I consume every single day. And it really has, Tavis, just those three things have made me feel so much more, uh, give, give me so much more leverage and appreciation for the relationships I have because now I've got more room in my soul for other people. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. What, what is your, I love this book title I said earlier, How to Human. What is your greatest fear about the future of humanity? I mean, one can watch movies, hmm. see all kinds of films that, you know, wrestle with this. I mean, this is, the, you know, Hollywood's been doing this for years, right? One can read books. One can, you know, read the tea leaves, as it were, read the handwriting on the wall. Yeah. But, but, but where do you think yeah. uh, humanity um, is headed in the coming years? I, 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 I'll tell you, the, the fear that I have is that if we don't course correct where we're heading, which is why I wrote the book, if we don't course correct where we're heading, and, I, and again, I don't think it's a big course correction. I think it, it may be 1%. I think it could be half a percent. Mm-hmm. We're not that far off, right? Like, but, but we've been knocked off course. And if we don't course correct, in, in 10 years, it may not feel like we're, we're that, that far off. But you, you know what? If a ship is only one degree off from its course, in 10 miles, they're not going to be able to tell that they're, they're off. But in 100 miles, they're going to be 10 miles off course. And in a thousand miles, they're going to be a hundred miles off course. And my, my, my fear is if we just go like, ah, it's no big deal. It's just 1%. Then in a hundred years, we're going to be way farther off than we ever thought we could be. So that's why I'm like, guys, listen, 
it's just 1%. It's a small shift. If we shift it now, I feel like we can get back to where we're supposed to be. Yep. It seems to me, and again, going through your book, I kind of wrestled with this uh, in, 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 uh, in interrogating the text. It seems to me that being human uh, at, at its best, at its best being human, ought to be a joyful experience. I don't believe God brings, us any, brings yeah. any of us into the world to be full of rage and fear and anxiety and depression and despondency. Uh, and angst. I could go on and on and on. I believe that we are intended, uh, were intended to be, are intended to be joyful beings. And yet, um, just navigating life for everyday people, say nothing of women who have to deal with patriarchy and sexism, say nothing Mm -hmm. of people of color, black folk in particular, who have to deal with racism and discrimination, uh, nothing of older people who have to deal with ageism. I can run the list. You take my point. Uh, but it seems to me that being fully human these days is tough to do, um, particularly if you are intent on being joyful, which is, again, how I see what humanity ought to be about. It ought to be a joyful experience. Mm-hmm. But there's a big disconnect, a big divide between living a joyful life and just trying to navigate through life, if yeah. that makes sense to you. Yeah. It does. It does. And and I think that knowing that we, we, we live in a fallen world, it, it is, you know, it, it's chaos. But I think if we look at, at the historical context, right, if we look 400 years ago, you know, like things have gotten progressively. They're not there yet, but progressively better. So, you know, when people say things are as bad as they've ever been, I, I, I can't say that that's actually true because there's not people running down my street with swords chopping my head off because of what I believe. Right. Mm-hmm. But so things have gotten progressively, you know, a little bit, you know, a little bit at a time better, but th- here's where I think we can um, exist in a world that has fallen where we may feel invisible. Uh, and, and there's women that are having to battle, you know, rights issues at work. And there's, you know, black folk are, are still having to battle like racism subliminally or like right there in your face on a daily basis. The, the, the trick for me in these moments of depression and anxiety and pain and sorrow and all the things that I feel every single day, is when I actively see another human being for who they are and let them know that I see them, you know what that does for me? It actually frees me and brings me joy. So if I'm stuck in a place where no one is bringing me joy, when I bring somebody else joy, it is actually the thing that is going to fuel my joy. Which, you know, we were leading into an example with the piano man, Tony, and there's a a whole bunch of other examples where Every day, it's a goal of mine to see somebody that is invisible to everybody else. And when they, when they see me see them, oh, my gosh, that brings some joy, like a joy bomb in my heart. So if you're, not, if you're not feeling that joy, go see somebody that's invisible. Let them know that they're seen. And I promise you, your heart's going to begin to explode. Um, I want to talk about Tony, the piano man, <laughs> when we come forward. This is quite an amazing story. So Carlos Whitaker is making his way through an airport one day. He runs into a guy playing the piano. I'll let him tell the story of what happens next when we come forward on KBLA Talk 1580. About uh, joyful living uh, as human beings and uh, how to human. Three ways to share life beyond what distracts, divides, and disconnects us. I'm getting messages from from, some uh, some friends right now who are letting me know uh, that uh, there's breaking news on the Capitol uh, on the floor of the House. Kevin McCarthy uh, has uh, pledged, uh, when he became speaker, to deny uh, uh, Representative uh, Ilhan Omar out of Minnesota. He pledged to deny her a seat on the Foreign Affairs Committee. And apparently there are Republicans starting to speak up now 
including one Victoria Sparks of my home state of Indiana, saying that she will not support Speaker Kevin McCarthy's effort to deny Representative Omar a seat on the House Foreign Affairs Committee, making it more difficult for the leader as he looks to follow through on his pledge again to not seat uh, Omar on the panel. Um, uh, Sparks also says she opposes McCarthy's vow to block Representative Adam Schiff of California, who we know well, friend of this program, and Eric uh, Swalwell of California from the House Intelligence Committee. So this rancor back and forth. Um, so McCarthy wins the speakership, which you heard Carlos Whitaker reference earlier in this conversation. And literally in real time, there are Republicans now starting to say they're not going to support him uh, in his effort to not seat certain people uh, who he doesn't like, uh, including Representative Adam Schiff, Representative Eric Swalwell and Representative Il uh, Ilhan Omar. Uh, we will see how this all works out. But there's something, again, wrong about uh, this sort of uh, distraction, divisiveness and disconnection where you want to uh, score points and do tit for tat and not seat people on committees that they are qualified and uh, have otherwise sat on heretofore, uh, including um, uh, great Americans like Adam Schiff. So uh, that sort of uh, distraction, that sort of divide, that sort of disconnect continues. But uh, there is some joyful news there that uh, Republicans, not all of them at least, are joining him in his effort to uh, get retribution against certain Democrats on the other side of the aisle. Again, since Carlos Whitaker mentioned that uh, earlier in the hour, that is to say mentioning uh, the circus that was uh, getting Kevin McCarthy uh, the gavel as speaker, uh, timely news there uh, that ties quite nicely in this conversation. When we come forward in our remaining moments with Carlos Whitaker, we'll get him to tell the story of Tony the Piano Man. Carlos's book is called How to Human. Uh, three ways to share life beyond what distracts, divides, and disconnects us. Tony, the Piano Man story, when we come forward on KBLA Talk 1580. Courage is, Courage contagious. is contagious. We're KBLA Talk 1580. Got about four minutes left in conversation with uh, uh, our guest in this hour, the author of How to Human, uh, Three Ways to Share Life Beyond What Distracts, Divides, and Disconnects Us. Carlos Whitaker, tell me the story right quick of uh, Tony, the Piano Man. Absolutely. Uh, first of all, we need to send a copy of How to Human to every congressperson on Capitol Hill. <laughs> well, maybe they can figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> let's do that. And uh, so, I, yeah, let's do that. I was, I was uh, in the airport in Atlanta, and I was, you know, laying over uh, Terminal A, and I noticed that there was a man playing the piano with, like, his entire soul. Everything was going, and every single person around him was staring at their phone. Every single person was not paying attention to what he was doing, and he had about $15 in his tip jar, so uh, at the time, I had about 150,000 Instagram followers that I called the Insta Familia. And I said, hey, you know what? We're about to give this man the biggest tip of his life. Now, I thought we were maybe going to raise $1,000. I thought, but this would be cool. Let's, let's give him $1,000. So I asked him his story. He's got kidney disease. We kind of hit it off. And then I started live streaming him on my Instagram. Well, let me tell you, in 30 minutes, we gave him a $10,000 tip. And then within 24 hours, he had $72,000 as a tip. And can I tell you something, Mr. Tony, the piano man, his life was changed because all these random strangers saw him. And then that's not the, that's not the end, right? The book is three parts. Be human, see humans, free humans. It's not enough just to see somebody. You've got to free them. How can you free them? And so we found a way to free him financially. 
and we became best friends, you know, and Tony became like another father to me. Um, but that, that's what we did, you know, and what I love about that story is people on the left, people on the right, people on the up and down, it don't matter what, they came together to rescue and see somebody, and I just believe that it's possible for all of us. Well, I can tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to get me a keyboard, and I'm going to get your flight itinerary. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set up in whatever terminal you're flying out of. <laughs> let's go, let's go, let's go. <laughs> just call me Tavis the Piano Man. I'm going to be Tavis the Piano Man. <laughs> and I'm going to set up in whatever terminal you're flying out of and uh, see if I can get That's your attention. It. Get it. me. Uh, get me some I'll tips. I'll find you. I'll find you. <laughs> the, in, the Insta Familia loves Tavis. I, I love it. I love it. What did that say to you, Carlos, about uh, about not just your followers and the way they responded to you, but about the power of humanity to respond to human mm. need? Yes. The, the, that it Rescue happens in community far greater than it happens as an individual. So if you can start finding yourself whether that be a church group, a workout group, whatever it is, where you can start doing good together, the, just the repetitivity of, of, of how much it can ex- exponentially grow is just so much faster. And so, again, I watched us give him $70,000. And you know, you know what it did also for me, Tavis? It made me go, huh, well, you know what? I take your $70,000 Insta Familia, and I raise you $150,000. let us see what happens. Can we do this for somebody else? And since that day... My Instagram followers, who I, I poll them once a month, lean 53% left, 47% right. Literally, that's how my Instagram followers lean. Now it's 256,000 of them. We have given away over $2.5 million on Venmo just to random strangers. Just, just this week on Martin Luther King Day, I walked into a Waffle House and asked every single Waffle House employee what their dream was. They told me their dream. 24 hours later, I walked in and gave every single staff member $20,000 each from the Insta Familia. And this is what we can do when we come and work together. We're far more powerful together than we ever are alone. So that's what, that's what I believe is the powerful point of humanity. Note to Tavis, hang out in airports, hang out at Waffle House. At Waffle uh, House. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I see Trevor Lawrence ain't the only one going to the Waffle House, uh, for those of you that's football right. fans. That's yeah. right. It ain't just Trevor. <laughs> it ain't just Trevor. His name is Carlos Whitaker. I've enjoyed this immensely. His book is called How to Human. Three ways to share life beyond what distracts, divides, and disconnects us. Carlos, you're a good man, brother. I enjoyed this conversation. Congrats on the book. Keep doing the great work and witness that you are engaged in. A delight to have had you on this program, sir. Thank you so much, Tavis. My honor. My great honor. Hour three of Tavis Smiley. When we come forward after news, traffic, and sports on KBLA Talk 1580.